Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. If you have been in leadership for any amount of time, you've probably been faced with this question. How much information should I be sharing with my team or with my employees? Well, today we're going to be talking about that very issue, and you're going to be hearing the positive case for why you should be more open rather than less open with your team. The book we're going to be talking about today is actually a follow-up from Jack Stack's book, The Great Game of Business, which has sold hundreds of thousands of copies. Today, we're going to be talking to one of the co-authors, and we're going to get to a little bit more about him in just a second. But first... It's great when you have time to listen to podcasts, but sometimes you just need to get straight to the facts. And that's why we've put together the Leadership Action List. It's a year's worth of weekly action steps to improve your leadership. If you want to be a noticeably different leader in one year, this simple but effective resource is for you. Download this list for free at leadershipactionlist.com. Once again, for an entire year of weekly leadership development, go to leadershipactionlist.com. Our guest today has written more than one million words across his career as a writer in the worlds of business and entrepreneurship. He teamed up with Jack Stack on his newest book, Change the Game, Saving the American Dream by Closing the Gap Between the Haves and the Have-Nots. Here is Darren Dahl. Darren, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. So I like to start off every single interview with a few questions that help us to get to know you better as a leader and give us some insight for our own lives. Are you ready for these? I'm ready. What is some lesson saying or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? My twist on this this question, which I think is a good one, is to pose it as a question, which is, what does every leader have in common? And the answer is someone willing to follow them. And I think that sometimes that is a, especially in the business world where you can, in theory, lead by a sense of title. The truth, I think when we really think about leadership, it is actually how are you engaging someone where they actually want to follow you where you're going. Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is? Someone who builds relationships, embraces change, and develops talent. What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others? A great question to ask, and it's going to, again, sound a little probably pedantic, but a leader should be asking others, what do you want to be when you grow up? And by that, I mean, where do you want to go in the future, either as a team or an organization? And as a follow-up question to that, when you put your plan together and you have your answer, what are you going to do if that doesn't work? What's your contingency plan? What's a book that you would recommend to leaders? I'm going to recommend a book by my co-author, Jack Stack, and it's called The Great Game of Business. And that's something I think we'll probably get into a little bit more in this podcast. But another uh, more recent book that's come out, I think, which is really interesting is 
No Rules Rules by Reed Hastings, the co-founder of Netflix. If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would that thing be? It would be try to share something, open something up that you may have once used to consider uh, sacred and see how people react to that. So let's say if you're a business owner, what would happen if you opened up and shared the financials of your company with your employees? Or maybe if you're a parent, what would it be like if you actually sat your, down with your kids and kind of explained the financials, what, how much money you guys make, what you pay in taxes, and really see what, what reaction uh, your children would have to something like that? And finally, we have our arbitrary but insightful question, which is this. As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? This is a a really interesting question. When you get into the why, I think we've seen this has become very popular in recent years, thanks in part to Simon Sinek and his start with why. But I'm going to go with the why not, because what I love about the why not, it actually has two meanings. If you're choosing to do something, you may say, well, why not do this? Like, let's just, let's go for it. But I think there's also this idea of the pruning away. You know, I think for a lot of us, we have so many ideas or so many things we could do. And asking why not can sometimes help you understand maybe the opportunity cost of going down a certain path or really understanding how to evaluate your decisions without necessarily losing the momentum of it. So, Darren, we are here today to talk about the book that you've written with Jack Stack called Change the Game, Saving the American Dream by Closing the Gap Between the Haves and the Have-Nots. Could you share with us a little bit about that book? I can. And as background to this book, it's kind of allude back to the, the book I mentioned in your question about recommended books. So my co-author, Jack Stack, his story is a remarkable one that goes back some 40 years story began with him and a group of, of folks in the middle of the country in a town called Springfield, Missouri, saving their factory by turning to what we've come to call the great game of business or how you teach the people inside the business, almost trick them into learning their business by treating business like a game. And then they were able to save their factory by giving this power to everyone inside of the company instead of it just being the job of the leader to do that. There's some things to unpack from that book, but what the book that Jack and I have written, Change the Game, is a follow-up on that. So it's 40 years later, what's happened? Well, what's happened is that thousands of readers and people who came to Springfield, that they read Jack's original book, kind of were fascinated by this idea of, opening the books, you know, how do you teach people the financials inside the the business? I think what we see a lot of times is business owners may say, well, I I share my financials with my employees. You know, once a year I share them, you know, here's our income statement. But the truth is that the financials inside a business are often very intimidating for a lot of us. And we might hear the term accounting and start running for the hills or involve some kind of math, you know, not, not, necessarily something we all want to dig into when it comes to a business. Well, what Jack and his original team did is that they they recognized that we all like to play games. We all like to compete and win. So consider a game like Monopoly. I mean, everyone likes to handle cash and, and make transactions and things like that. And 
it's amazing how that game continues to remain popular, even though it's been around for, for probably longer than 40 years. And so the whole idea was how do you get to, to the point where you're having fun at work and you're not intimidated and it's not this us and them between leadership and the front line? You know, just for further context, in this the original factory that Jack worked at was a remanufacturing facility for International Harvester, which so we're going back to 1983. And there was a huge recession that year. And at that point, International Harvester was laying off something like 10,000 people a day. And what these, there was a hundred people that worked in this remanufacturing facility. And what they did was they took, um, engines that were in farm, you know, combines for that used in the, the agricultural industry. And they basically with their hands remade these engines, you know, took these dirty old things and turned them into a remanufactured product, which could then be sold back to farmers as a, as a cheaper alternative to a new one. So this is not a high tech business. This isn't a, a lot of the folks working in this factory had high school educations at best, but what, Jack realized was that they were going to be closed. This factory was going to get closed down. And he was the general manager of this plant. And so he was a leader of this. But what he soon recognized was that he had been taught over the course of his career how to make great products, like, or how to do great work on it, on the engines, how to drill great holes, how to polish them up. But no one had ever taught him how to build a company. And so what he embarked on at that point was realizing they needed to buy their own business back in order to save their jobs. And in the process of doing that, he also recognized as a leader, he didn't have all the answers. He didn't know how to do this. And so he needed to get everyone on the same page. And to do that, he tore down these kind of sacred curtains that I think we see in so many particularly small businesses that separate leadership and ownership from the front line. And that is the financials, which is your, the scorecard, you know, the, that gives you the health report for your business. And yet it's becomes almost such common practice that that information is kept from employees. And there's a variety of reasons for that of, I think, why that happens. But Connecting the dots back to your question, I'm after my long digression, is that people read this book and they saw how Jack opened up their business to their employees and turned them into owners and how they all worked together so much better because there were no more secrets. There was no more us and them because they were all working toward the same shared goals. That story has been so inspirational to thousands of other leaders and companies out there. And so what Jack and I have done in, in, our, in our new book, Change the Game, is to, it's a collection of the stories we've heard from all kinds of industries and all kinds of areas about how leading in this way, leading in this open and transparent way and being willing to throw away secrets and engage people in the Kind of even the question you asked me earlier, what, what do they want to be when they grow up? This isn't coming from the top down. How do we run this company from the bottom up? And that's part of what they begin to call the great game of business. The whole purpose of this is to create leaders. And you do that by sharing information and working together. So what's cool about the book that Jack and I wrote, where his original book focuses on 
this business, which is called now called SRC Holdings, which used to be called Springfield Remanufacturing Company, that, that story has evolved too. So when they first bought the business, there was 100 employees, 100 jobs that they saved when they embarked on this mission. Today, that business now has 10 divisions and 1,800 associates. Maybe even kind of cooler capstone to that story is that the folks who, those 100 folks that were, whose jobs were saved and who started running their business differently this way, they also are now retiring. And many of them, as I think I noted earlier, had, you know, I don't mean this in, in a derogatory way, it's just they were, uh, prefer to work with their hands and many of them didn't choose to pursue education beyond high school. Well, those folks now, after a career work for this company and creating, choosing what they wanted to be when they grew up, they're now retiring as millionaires because of the value that they've created jointly inside of this business. So in Jack and in my book is we've collected stories like that and shown how other businesses, including maybe a surprise to, to listeners too, is there's a local government who's embracing this same approach. How do you create trust with government and your community members? I mean, how many of us are sort of distrustful of our government? What are they doing with our tax dollars? Why are they making these decisions? Well, one local government has decided to explain itself and open itself up and share this information with its taxpayers. It's also been really effective in not-for-profit organizations, which, again, may be a surprise to folks. Like, well, not-for-profit, why would they need to know the financials? Well, not-for-profit is just a tax status. You still need to turn a profit in order to be sustainable financially. And why shouldn't you teach everybody inside of your organization what it takes to survive and, and be a part of the solution of where you want to go? That's how you can create leaders is by sharing information and teaching people. It's not just the sharing, but it's also teaching them the importance of it. So I think there is a lot of, of clarity in people's minds about the benefit of making sure that there is good communication happening. There's good understanding within an organization. That being said, you know, one of the things you talked about earlier was being willing to share something that was once sacred to you. And especially in leadership, you know, people want to be careful about what they're sharing. What, what does it look like to begin thinking through what type of information you should for, you know, I guess, lack of a better term, democratize and really make available to people so that you can work more effectively together? Are there, are there ways to think about that? One of the things you mentioned uh, seems to be financial. Would you break it down or would you, would you uh, summarize it as financial information is what you need to share? Or would you say there are other things that people need to be thinking about as well? That's a good question. And I will actually answer it in a couple parts. And I would first want to just, because I really think there's a powerful message that comes from, I mentioned Reed Hastings, the co-founder of Netflix, probably a service so many of us have gotten even more intimate with during the pandemic. Um, But he's the co-founder and his new book called The uh, No Rules Rules is about how they created this, the culture of, of inside Netflix and what that meant. And he actually has a whole chapter on transparency, which he elaborates at length about Jack Sack, how Jack Sack inspired Netflix in its approach to transparency and sharing of information. And one of the stories that Hastings tells in the book is about he was at some kind of a, a conference, a think tank conference, and they were discussing these ideas about transparency and 
one of the other CEOs didn't like this idea. He said, my job as a leader is to shield my people from things they don't need to know. My job is to hold up an umbrella and protect them from that rain of other information. My job is to help them stay focused on what their job is and what they need to do. And to that, Hastings said, no, I reject that. I throw away the umbrella. I want my employees to get wet. And what he meant by that is he wasn't going to put up artificial barriers about what could or should be shared. And interestingly, they, they still have that kind of a culture there. And now Netflix, of course, is a multi-billion dollar public company. And yet they still share, I believe it's on a weekly, if not monthly basis, all the key metrics inside of their business that a, their competitors would love to have ahead of time because eventually that information does get filed publicly as a public company, but they share it with their employees before it's made public. And that means that if any of those employees were to share any of that information with a friend who then traded on that information with a stock, A, they would be going to jail and B, Netflix would be in a whole lot of PR trouble with knowing that information was being leaked. But Hastings says, I'm not going to change my policy. I'm going to keep sharing everything because I trust my people and I want them to know the information so that they can make better decisions. And if there's somebody who screws up, then we'll deal with that person. But we're not going to change it at a blanket level just because we get one hiccup. And I I thought that was just such a great story. And I think that When companies begin playing the great game of business, that's typically one of those most common questions is specifically is about, I don't want to share salary information. That is one of those areas that most people do not share. I mean, certainly at a public company, there's the officers and things, you know how much money people make there. But in a small business, you don't have to share that. Typically, it gets down to if you teach your people, I mean, there's when we talk about financials, talking about three particular pieces, the income statement, your statement of cash flows, and your balance sheet. That's your report card inside of your business. And the more that you can teach people those three aspects of your business, the better they'll understand the health of that business. In the topic of salaries, you can see that there's a total line item in your P&L. So you know, to some degree, people are going to, they can probably deduce some of that. But that, that then leads to this other question that particularly in small businesses, owners get a little nervous because they see, they think that the employers are going to see how much money they make in terms of profits inside of the business and like, oh, they're going to be all greedy and they're going to want more when they see how much we're making. But what's so interesting is that we have thousands of case studies of companies who have chosen to to work this way now as you know in sharing and engaging people and taking down these walls the amazing thing is one of the exercises that we teach for example is if you go into so listeners if you are a small business owner and if you were really bold here's the exercise you could do go go get some of that fake monopoly money get enough so that it it actually represents what your revenue or sales are for a month. And depending on how much money that is, like 
you can even make a, a dramatic show of this, like put it all in a wheelbarrow or put it all on, on a table uh, stacked up in, in with all the hundreds and all that and just and bring all your people in and ask them this question. You know, they can even do it in like a secret ballot, have them each write it down and say, okay, for every dollar that we make in revenue, how much do you think we actually bring home in profit? What is what is left over at the end of the month? We've asked when we've seen people do this exercise, it is remarkable how wrong your employees are. Typically answers are 40, 50, 60 cents of every dollar they think is profit. And it's because they don't understand your business. I mean, if you are making 60 cents on every dollar inside your business, you have an amazing business. But the truth is you're probably more like five cents, maybe 10 cents. And typically when you reveal that to your employees, there is going to be a shock to them. They're going to be like, wow, I've seen this done in a restaurant, for example, where you know, really popular restaurant that always had reservations, you know, you couldn't get in without a reservation, lines out the door and employees are like, oh, these, they're killing it. They're just making so much money. The owners are. And then when they did this exercise, like, oh my gosh, I didn't know you, what, what's this debt stuff here? And, you know, wow, you got to pay a lot of debt for all that stuff and all that real estate or Another big shocker to employees when you open things up this way is taxes. Like, wait a minute, you don't even get to keep all that, all that you lose a bunch of that to taxes. And it just, it's like that first opening thing of, wow, the employees, when you share that with them, it's all of a sudden you've started creating trust with them. And it's another thing that I've, I've seen time and time again is just employees, how much they appreciate an owner being w- willing to share that information with them because they are like, wow, they do trust me. I do think that a barrier that particularly small business owners can run into is if it is a family business and you've got a bunch of family members working in there. And and I, I say this not uh, not in any form of criticism, but you've got you know, everyone's got a family's got a car or you've got apartments and things. And when you don't want your employees to see those kinds of things and how your business is is funding that, that's going to be a barrier. I understand that. And you're probably not going to want to open up. But I think that we're entering this age of particularly with with younger workers. I think they want that opportunity to to, uh, make a difference fast and they want answers and they want to know why. Well, this is one of the fastest ways that you can just start building an incredible foundation as a leader to get that kind of engagement, get those followers behind you is when you ex- you can explain the why and the why not a lot better when you've opened up your business to your to your employees. So if there's a listener who's listening to you right now and likes this idea, but wants a little bit more, what would you say is the benefit to not only them, but to their employees so that their company is able to make more money through the sharing of information? How is this going to actually impact the bottom line and the culture of the company? Well, that's what's remarkable and, and we've just, again, seen this time and time again. And I would encourage listeners, if, if you're curious about this system, I'm, I'm kind of trying to stay high level and not 
get too much in the weeds. But again, this the system is what we call the great game of business. And incidentally, a lot of people don't, uh, that name has tripped people up from time to time because they're like, business is serious. It's not a, it's not a game. Why would you call it a game? And, and I think that's also part of why we love it. We need to get past this being business as being only for the haves. And, and that really gets, speaks to the, the subtitle of our book of we have a wealth gap inside of this society. And the better people understand how to create wealth, which is typically through businesses, through equities, through understanding your financials, that's how we're going to close that gap. And we have seen so many stories where employees, when they, it's almost happens by repetition and, and osmosis in a way where you go through uh, an educational process at work where, okay, we're, we're going to set our budgets. We're going to look ahead. What do we want to do in five years? How are we going to get there? Wow. Why are we hurting on cash flow this month? Where, where's our receivables getting hung up? All these things is blah, blah, you know, oh, wow, this is big, heady stuff inside a business. And then you go home and you realize, holy cow, this is the same stuff in my home finances. I, I can make a budget. I can make a plan. We've seen employees that understand this and all of a sudden they where they once maybe were struggling with credit card debt or maybe didn't understand how much money they should borrow for a house and how they could pay it off. They start getting a plan to get out of debt because it's the same stuff they learned at work. So there's just incredible power by sharing this kind of information. And so the the place that if you want to learn more about this, uh, the website is greatgame.com and you can get your feet wet in terms of this more of this story. Um, again, I'd recommend you know, reading Jack in my book. I, I think we we lay out some of the some of these benefits um, because you know I think just picking on that topic of debt is a really important one. Where both in business and in finance, I think we've people realized this pandemic has brought it home about using debt is a double edged sword. D- debt can be used for good, but when you lose your source of income and you have a lot of debt to pay, you're in trouble. And so just understanding debt at a more deeper level can be such a powerful tool to both for your business and at home. And it's part of it too, is this education. I mean, your, your question was in terms of making more money. And I think that in the end, when you get people engaged in a business like that or running a business like this, and you include what we call a stake in the outcome, which is where you create a kind of profit sharing program or gain share, where if the more money the company makes, you will share that with the employees so that they actually have a stake in this. They, you know, that's part of this wealth building you can do. But part of that education too is, as, as one example, I remember one company that through this process of, of learning about uh, the financials and learning how their business makes money and generates cash. Uh, one of the employees who worked in a warehouse all of a sudden realized that all that stuff, like I think it was reams of paper that they had in their warehouse. He's like, that's money. That isn't just paper. That's that each of those represents, you know, 20 bucks of, of, of money. And so at, wow, I have a lot of responsibility. I am managing millions of dollars of money here not just paper. 
And when you get people to start seeing the things in their workplace as more than just things that are just the owners or something I don't have to worry about. Oh, it's just there. You know, just think about like if you're, if you are doing something in manufacturing scrap, you know, but if you start seeing that scrap as money or if, you know, just even around the office with uh, <laughs> leaving the lights on, what, what is your electric bill? Well, that's money. And if employees are, if they have an opportunity that the more costs they save, the more profit the business makes, and they get a share of that, like that's how you're now creating these shared goals and working together. And man, as a leader, it is so much easier to run a business this way where I think, again, just being more timely with this, that during this pandemic, I'm sure a lot of your readers, depending on what business industry, there's kind of been in in us and them in terms of business. Some have just been booming, right? If, If you make toilet paper, for example, you're, you're probably having record year, but if you're a restaurant, this is really, really hard. And how do you have those conversations with your, your folks about what's happening? And, you know, that's another one of these barriers that we've heard time and time again, where, oh, well, things are really bad. And if I tell my people the truth about how bad they are, they'll all leave. And what's remarkable is that I would challenge you if that's what you were thinking, dear listener, is that actually what people want to do is help and make a difference. And what they don't want to have happen is show up at work the next for work the next day. And there's a sign saying closed, you know, we're, we're out of business. And that employee is going to say, man, I wish I knew they were in trouble. I, I would have loved to have helped. I have ideas. I could have helped, you know, oh man, if I had known that I could have cut those costs, I could have done this different. So why not magnify the power of your workforce by sharing this information with them, getting them engaged. And then it's just not you losing sleep at night, worrying about how to keep their jobs or how to keep the place open. Like everyone wants to help make that happen. So I think it's actually kind of a a leadership superpower to be able to to trust people enough to share this information with them. Well, Darren, if people have connected with what you've shared today, in addition to checking out your book, Change the Game, and going to greatgame.com, any other recommendations for people to learn more about you and the work that you do? Well, I mean, I, I have a personal website that is my name, darrendahl.com, which kind of shares some of the other great stuff that other authors that I've worked with. But Greatgame.com is a fantastic resource, and it's something that I'm particularly really passionate about these days because I I think that it's quite simply a a better way to run a business, and and I think there'd be incredible change in our world if uh, more of your listeners out there would, would consider running their business this way. Well, Darren, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. I had fun. Once again, if you'd like to learn about Jack and Darren's new book, Change the Game, you can go to greatgame.com. Now, let's go ahead and go to today's three key takeaways. The first one is this. Withholding information because of fear is a prevention as opposed to a promotion mindset. Now, this isn't something that we directly talked about today, but this goes back to episode 113, which is linked below in the show notes. That was with Ryan Gottfriedson, and he talked about the idea of a prevention mindset 
mindset versus a promotion mindset. A prevention mindset tries to play on the defensive so to limit loss, but a promotion mindset is going to be on the offensive so that there can be positive growth. So be on the offensive, be on the sharing side of information so that you can grow rather than trying to keep information to yourself and staying on the defensive. The second key takeaway is this. If you have people who want to make a difference fast, give them an appropriate runway to do so. Now, notice that appropriate. There are plenty of times where you can't give people full access or full ability to do whatever they want. But if you have people on your team who want to make a difference fast, give them that appropriate runway to do so. And finally, our third key takeaway is this. Be sure to connect the specific work of each person on your team with the outcomes that their work is producing. Make sure that people can connect the good work that they're doing on your team with the great outcomes that you are producing together. That is a powerful thing to be able to show people to make sure that they realize they are having an impact in their organization. As always, I'm going to encourage you to download the Leadership Action List if you want additional action steps for you to be taking as a leader. The Leadership Action List is a year's worth of weekly leadership actions you can be taking or your leadership team can be taking so that you can make sure you are improving as leaders. Along with the action list itself, you'll also receive a weekly email that highlights one of these action steps so you can make sure that this action list stays front and center in your leadership development. If you're serious about your personal leadership development in 2021, this leadership action list and weekly email combination are a great duo to ensure your success. As always, until next time, keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living 
and leading wealth.